Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Hello everyone and welcome to our online church platform. It's wonderful to be able to bring the Word of God to you in this time. We are going through turbulent times as a nation and as a church we are continuing to focus our eyes on the Word of God and on Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the time on the account when Jesus is coming on the waters, walking on water, and the apostles and the the disciples are in the boat and the storm is raging. And uh, Jesus is perceived by the disciples and uh, Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, call me to come onto the waves and walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. And as long as Peter had his eyes on Jesus, everything went well. He could do the supernatural. He could overcome the natural circumstances. He could overcome. He could walk on top of the storm. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on the waves and on the storm, he started to sink. And Jesus picked him up and said, why did you doubt? And brought him back to the boat. And so this morning, even as we are sharing around the word of God, I just have an encouragement for each one of us. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. What about this? What if this happened? What if that happened? What if this loss happened? What if that went wrong? It doesn't change anything. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the foundation of our hope. And so let's keep our eyes on him. I really just want to encourage all the families that might be dealing with COVID-19 infections and anyone that might be in a time where they are battling this virus or this disease. The word of God is still the same. It is still medicine unto all your flesh. I want to encourage you to continue to stay in the word of God, continue to take communion. We've been receiving wonderful testimonies of people getting healed in two days and three days and recovering very quickly. We declare in the name of Jesus, the word of life unto every family in our church, unto every person in our church, And even outside of our church, if you're watching this, that you'll be encouraged to hold on to Christ as the one who delivers from every situation. The past weekend, we had uh, about seven baptisms, people that uh, recently uh, made a commitment to to really uh, take that step in baptism in obedience. And uh, it was really wonderful to see the, the testimony of, of people saying, I'm, I'm putting the world behind me and I'm choosing Jesus forever. Identifying themselves with the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so uh, wonderful testimony there. We, we are concluding our series today on God and government. We've been having four weeks of dealing in this subject. Very, very critical subject. Very important. If you missed, if you missed any of the weeks, please go back on the YouTube channel. On our website, you'll be able to find them there. The first week, we dealt with authority from God and the sovereignty of God. The second week, we dealt with order and blessing and the the importance of organizing your life in a way that the blessing can flow. Last week, we spoke about rebellion and activism. And this is important for those of you who really feel that you, you need to do something. There's a call on your life to do something when government is, is going off the rails and just the principles that you need to have in your life so that you don't transgress God's authority and rebel against God in the process. And so today we're talking about being called into government. And this will relate specifically to those who feel a specific call 
into state, into the government. But government is wider than just the state. And so I want to uh, share with us the, the, the word of God and the principles that relate to this and the keys which are essential to being in government and leadership. And so let's pray and the word of God will minister to us this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word is alive and that it is working right where we are. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by your Holy Spirit for the power of the transformation of your word to impact each one of us as we listen, as we are in the word this morning. We thank you that your word does not return void. And I pray that miracles, signs and wonders and healings will take place even as we share this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So when we're looking at government, government does not only relate to the state. Government relates to governance, how things are ordered, and it all emanates from God, as we've stated in the first message. And so the first principle that we're sharing this morning is that every person has a calling. Every person has a calling. I've got a calling, what I'm doing right now, God's calling on my life in terms of preaching the word, in terms of leading the church, and all the other areas. These are callings of God. And when it's a calling, it means that God is commissioning and mandating us into a, certain, into a certain function, into a certain purpose for His glory. When we have an awareness of a calling, we understand that there is an accountability that comes with it, that we will have to answer the call. And so many people understand that preachers have a calling, Many people even understand that worship leaders, people in ministry and, and spiritual ministry have a calling. But the word of God reveals to us that the calling of God is wider than just the church. And it's so important for each one of us to have a sense of calling, a sense of purpose. When you wake up in the morning, what is your calling? What are you called to do? Why are you here? Why are you alive? What is your purpose? What is the meaning of your life? And it's so important, the only place where we discover our true calling is in relationship with the manufacturer, with the one who created us, with the creator, with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading a scripture that we've read throughout the series, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. So God is the creator. Jesus Christ created all things in heaven and on earth, including you and I. And then visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So very important that you understand that your life belongs to God. You are to fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. And many times we've got a very warped sense of living, which is based on happiness and pleasure. We do only that which makes us feel happy and which makes us feel pleasurable. But that is not what the calling of God is based on. There are certain things which are good for you to do, which will be painful. I mean, just looking at something like exercise, exercise is good for you to do, but it's very painful and uncomfortable. Some of you might not know what I'm talking about, but it's the truth. <laughs> and so when you're doing something good, you don't measure it by how good you feel. In the end, that's when you assess it. 
But in the process, you might experience quite a painful process in order to get to the purpose, which is what God has called you to do. And so it's important that we don't navigate our lives on the basis of my happiness or will this make me happy or not? Will this relationship make me happy or not? Will this job make me happy or not? Will this uh, experience make me happy or not? That's not what it's down to. Or will this experience be pleasurable for me? No, the pleasure comes from fulfilling the calling. And it's important that you understand none of your lives, none of our lives are wasted. God does not waste anything. He designed and created and ordained each one of us in order to fulfill a specific and a special purpose. Now, our general purpose, our general calling is into salvation, first and foremost, that we are called to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father and to know the Holy Spirit and to experience that reconciliation. That's our first and primary calling. Without that, you might fulfill a secondary calling and end up in damnation, having your life eternally wasted and separated from God. So your first and primary calling is to be born again, is to fulfill that spiritual life that God has for you. But then beyond that, you must understand that every single one of us has a calling. And who is it that will reveal to us that calling? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is the one that gives us a revelation of that calling. Secondly, the second principle is this. We're talking about God and governance. government and governance. And so the second principle is God, God's government, government is your calling. (laughs) Government is your calling. Many of us have the sense that, no, uh, Sister So-and-so, she's a minister of health or she's uh, a minister of finance, so she's called into government, or so-and-so is in the parliament, he's called into government, or so-and-so is the president, they're called into government. That is indeed correct. But as we said, the government is wider. And we as the church, as believers, are involved in God's process of government because of the way that we intercede, because of the way that we pray for our leaders, because of the way in which we vote, because of the way in which we bring people into leadership. I think it was John Adams, one of the founders of uh, the American Constitution or, or the founding fathers of the American state, and he said that democracy is only fitting for a moral people. <laughs> because once people have democracy and they can elect and choose whatever they want, they will even elect to kill themselves. Can you imagine? And so we are in a place where every one of us needs to have an understanding that we are all involved in what happens in government in the different levels. I'm reading from Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through to 6. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, or who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits of God which are before his throne. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Amazing. Revealing Jesus Christ, this is obviously post his resurrection because he's the first begotten from the dead. 
and he is the prince of the kings of the earth. He is the principality, the overseer of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved us. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. And verse 6, look here. And has made us, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So look at this. The calling that he's brought us into for the forgiveness of sins and the washing by the blood of Christ has made us kings. Has made us kings and priests. These are governance roles. Kings rule in state and priests rule in spiritual matters. Very important. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Speaking of Jesus. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Amazing. Most people, when they think of their Christianity, they don't see it in terms of governance and in terms of, of rulership. They don't. They see it more in terms of, yeah, I'm just a dirty old sinner who was forgiven. No, the forgiveness of sins was a means to an end. What was the end? The end was that we are to be restored in relationship and fellowship with God and brought into the royal family. And the royal family rules and reigns as kings and priests. Hallelujah. So you need to change the way you see yourself. You need to realize that government is your calling. Whether in the natural or in the spiritual, government is your calling. You have been brought in. You have been given authority by God. In this realm. And you are a king. You are reigning with Christ today. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says. They that receive of the gift of righteousness. And the abundance of grace. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Will reign in life. By, by the one man Christ Jesus. So we are called to have dominion. We spoke about that in the first uh, message. And we are called to be kings and priests. There is an expectation from God. He's not just created you to go ahead with your life and just have pleasure and happiness. No, he has called you as a ruler. Hallelujah. You know, and when the next age comes, the positions that we will hold in the realm of the spirit in the next life will be determined by how we live now. And they will be positions of rulership. This is amazing. Even the angels know this, and many of us don't. Even demons know this, and many of us don't. And so the second principle is this. Government is your calling. Don't abdicate it and say, ooh, politics is for, you know, it's a dirty game. You know, it's for those guys who have no integrity, who have no, no conscience. No. Government, government is our business. We're involved in what's happening in the nation's of the world. And obviously the way we go about it is different, but it's important that you understand that one, you have a calling. Every person has a calling. Number two, that government is your calling, whether you serve in a position in the state or not. Very, very important. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, not will be one day when he dies. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. That sounds exactly like an office in the state. You are a minister. You are a minister in the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry in charge in the kingdom of God, in charge of reconciling people to God. Look here, verse 19. To think or to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses against them or unto them, and has committed unto us the word, the message of reconciliation. This is amazing. So that means in the kingdom of God, no one else, no one else has the role and position of minister of reconciliation like us who are saints, who are bought, who are bought by the blood of Christ into the kingdom of God. The angels are not ministers of reconciliation. They are not. All the other creatures in God's, in God's uh, heavenly um, community are not ministers of reconciliation. He has given that special privilege, hallelujah, that special privilege of opening the door from hell into heaven, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He has given that key, that special ministry, only to the children of God. Hallelujah. This is awesome. What a great privilege we have. What a great responsibility. What a great accountability we hold. And so regardless of whether you are fulfilling your ministry of reconciliation in the department, in the, in the sector of, of mining, or whether it is in the, in the legal sector, or whether it's in the medical sector, or whether it's in technology, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a lecturer, whether you're a full-time mom, whatever, you're, whatever you do, whether you're a plumber, a mechanic, whatever your role is, your primary calling is into government as a minister of reconciliation. Reconciling men to God and men to other men. Peace, bringing peace. Hallelujah. And you must take this seriously because the role has been delegated to you. You'll be asked questions on that day by the Lord. By the Lord concerning how you have discharged your role. Verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ. Another, another state term. Ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a delegate from this nation into another nation to represent the interests of the nation that sent them as an ambassador. It doesn't say you will be. Now then, we are going to be. No. It says now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Look here, as though God were beseeching you by us, we pray you on Christ's stead, be he reconciled to God. As if God were begging and imploring you through us. So we are in the diplomatic core of heaven. There are no other ambassadors from heaven 
on earth like the children of God and the church of Jesus Christ. And the ambassador has diplomatic immunity, special protections from the kingdom of God, has diplomatic provisions, supplies. He doesn't pay for the, for the embassy where he stays. He doesn't pay. There, there are many implications to you taking seriously your role as a representative of Jesus Christ, as a representative of the heavenly kingdom, as a king, as a priest, as an ambassador, and as a minister. Very, very important. And you know what? Many times only the pastors are getting these benefits. Because most people think that, no, it's just for the pastor, it's just for the apostle, it's just for the evangelist, the prophet, the teacher. No. They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4. So they are to equip the diplomatic community. Even the term church is the word in the Greek, ecclesia. Ecclesia means the, the parliament, the, the ones who are called out from the public to represent the interests of the many, the called out ones, the ecclesia. This is who we are. This is who we are. And God has elected us from, uh, from the whole human race into these places of government in the realm of the spirit. And with that foundation, then you can say, yeah, I'm now going to go into parliament in Namibia. I'm now going to go to be a minister of health or to be a minister of finance or to be a minister of trade and industry or to be a minister of poverty eradication. Whatever your, your delegated role is from the, the state on earth, there is a throne above this government to whom we must answer and whom we represent. Hallelujah. When you come into government with that understanding, you're no longer fulfilling your agenda. You're no longer fulfilling the agenda of your family or nepotistic uh, uh, tendencies. You're no longer fulfilling the agenda of your tribe, tribalist tendencies. You're no longer fulfilling the agenda of your political party. You are fulfilling the agenda of God most high to whom you will anyway need to give an account. Hallelujah. So this is very critical. Understand, first, you have a calling, each one of us. Number two, government is our calling. It is your calling. And it starts by taking up your role as a king, as, as a priest, as a minister of reconciliation, as, a, as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Some of you, you don't have a job at the moment. You're unemployed. You, you, you don't seem to have a career. I'm telling you now, <laughs> your first career and your first job, you already have it. Start. Start taking up your role seriously as a king, having dominion. Hallelujah. We'll, we'll explain much more and the implications of this. But the word of God teaches us, if you look at Jesus, this is the picture. Because when uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry till they come to the, the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ, till they become like Jesus. What was Jesus like? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm representing the interests of my father. I only do what I see my father doing. He wasn't pushing his own agenda. He was there on earth fulfilling the will of his father, an ambassador, classic ambassador of the kingdom of God. And then he delegated it to us. And he said that I will be with you. Now go throughout the whole earth and bring the kingdom of God wherever, wherever it is not. 
You can start today. You don't have to wait for a job application. No one will decline your application. You are hired. Go for it. Amen. And you will see that when you take up the gospel seriously, many other areas in your life begin to work themselves out. Take it seriously. Take it from me. It's true. All right. So the areas in which government is applicable, when I say we all have a call into government, we are all government is our calling. First and foremost is personal or self-government. First and foremost. Sort out the, the bulk or the stock in your eye be, before you try and fix the world. Number two, family government. What is your role in your family? Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Are you a father? Are you a mother? All those roles govern yourself in a way that is consistent with the kingdom of God. The family structure, God has a design concerning that. The, the husband being the head, the wife submitted to the husband, the husband protecting and loving the wife as Christ loved the church, the children growing up under their example and under that guidance. Nowadays, it's turned upside down. The children are on top. They dictate everything. The mother is the, is the delegated communicator to the father, and the father just has to do whatever is, he's told to do. Or... That's in, in a family that might still be together. In some families, absent father. In some families, absent mother. In some families, the children are just going raucous. And it's very important that we take seriously the principle that God's order is the design for God's blessing. And hence the importance to understand that this is a calling into government in the context of family. Number three, then we have the church or the, 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 the spiritual family of God. In the church, you've got the elders, you've got the bishops, you've got the fivefold ministry, you've got deacons. All of that needs to be governed in a way which is consistent with God's word. Those who are in these positions are expected, expected to take seriously the call of government that is upon their lives in the, in the context of the church. When the church is well governed, it grows, it prospers, it, it fulfills the mission of evangelizing the world, sending missions around the world, planting churches, taking care of the needy and the poor, and preaching the gospel, making disciples, the work that Jesus was doing on earth, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the le lepers, changing society for the kingdom of God. This is what the church is meant to do. When it's well governed, it will do that. When it's not well governed, it becomes self-centered, self-absorbed, and irrelevant. And then number four, the, 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 the last area of government which is most per pertinent, especially in this um, series, is the state. That it's true there are individuals that are called into being president, prime minister, minister of this, minister of that, into being um, advisors in the government, etc. And those are to be taken very, very seriously because of the implications on the wider society. All right, so those are the two principles. You have a calling, and number two, that government is your calling. Now, thirdly, we're going to deal with four essential keys to government. So in all those areas of government, what are the four keys that you must apply? Whether it's self-government, whether it's family government, whether it's in, in the church, or whether it's in the state. And there is this notion that the church and the state should be separate. That uh, construct was not in order to keep the church out of state affairs. It was in order to keep the 
the state out of church affairs. But now this has been changed. So now we can't even preach to the state people and tell them stop being corrupt because they say, hey, separate. <laughs> separate church and state. No. What's supposed to happen is that the state must mind its own business when it comes to church matters. Although, obviously, if there's criminal activity and all, please get involved. But the separation of church and state does not mean that the principles of God's word should not be applied in the state. It means that the state should not try and become God and to try and control the people of God. The state should not try and usurp its authority and be out of line. There will be consequences to that. And whenever that happened, there was always some kind of uh, genocidal tendency from the state. Whenever the state removes itself from its rightful place and takes up a role of being uh, a priest or a high priest or some kind of representative from above. And so it's very important for us to have that understanding. So what are these four essential keys to government? And these are keys that you can apply in your life personally, in your family, in, in, in your workplace, whether it be in business, and also in the state and in the church. Very important. Live by these. Daniel chapter 2 verse 20, we read this before. It says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And so it's important for you to understand that that role that you have as a leader is not for your own pleasure and satisfaction and ambitious fulfillment. It is for service unto God. And that's why these four essential keys will make you realize how it is that you are to be in government in these areas, especially in the state, in a way that pleases God. The first key for anyone who wants to be in government, especially in the state, or advisors to, to the government and ministers and parliamentarians, the first key is this, integrity. Integrity. Key number one, integrity. If you have no integrity, leave. <laughs> leave. Because if you are unfaithful with a little, you will be a thief with much. The more power they give you, the more corrupt and evil you'll become. Does that mean you have to be perfect? No, we don't have, we, we only have imperfect people <laughs> to, to run for office. So it's not that you have to be perfect, but you must have a sense of integrity and honesty with yourself and with others. Proverbs 11 verse 3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Duplicity, their double life. And there are many people, especially in the area of politics, you understand that people are willing to make all sorts of promises when it's election year, and then when it's actually time to deliver on them, they're like, well, I, I won't be here in four years' time. Let me just take what I want, and then in four years' time, you guys can elect someone else. And the people who suffer are those that voted for them. This is a lack of integrity. And many times, it doesn't only happen in government, but also in churches and in families. The lack of integrity is the beginning of the destruction of the composition of that entity. Integrity means that you are the same person in public as you are in private. When nobody is looking, can you still be honest? When nobody is looking, can you still do the right thing? If you were promised that nobody would be able to know about certain things, some of us 
with steel today. <laughs> Christian or not? <laughs> yeah, pastor, I'm a Christian. I don't do those things. Yeah, we will see. Right? Because when the door is closed, then you really know who you are. And I want to encourage us, don't live on the basis of your posts on social media. All the things that you are portraying on social media are skin deep. But the character and the heart is what happens actually in the inner room when no one sees except God. And so the first key, the first key is this integrity. And you might say, oh my goodness, I don't have integrity right now. How do I get it? Repent. Realize, admit, I lack integrity in my life. I lack it. I lack it. I'm a liar. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite right now. What do you need to do? Bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I lack integrity. Please, I repent of it today. And I ask that your Holy Spirit will begin to work in my heart to transform my life and give me a life of integrity. And you will begin to see the Holy Spirit prompting you to confess certain things to certain people that you didn't want anyone to know. That's your first step. It's a price to pay, but the value of having a life that everyone knows what's inside and outside is the same is amazing. Even many people struggle psychologically because they're living a double life. For who? For who? Who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? Right? Because God, who, who anyway is the ultimate judge, already knows you the way you are fully. You might as well bring it out to people and begin to live a life that is completely true. And you'll take a deep sigh of relief and say, Oof, I no longer need to manage my lies anymore. Because lies need to be managed. <laughs> One lie needs to be managed with another lie. Another lie needs to be managed. And when someone finds out you have to bribe that person in order to cover that lie and that lie, it becomes a web which is uncontrollable, a house of cards. And I want to encourage you, if you're in a place of leadership and you're right now not a person of integrity, there's much dishonesty, find somebody, confess it to them, and begin your journey towards an open-hearted life of honesty and integrity. That's the first key, integrity. Number two, wisdom and discernment. I'm reading from 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. Amazing, amazing revelation in the way that God imparts things, even in visitations and dreams. Don't underestimate your dreams. And then it says, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And for those of you who think in the dream, oh, I'm out of control, imagine asking for nonsense in such a question. God is asking you, what do you want? You better be in charge in your dream enough to be able to say, Lord, I want the right wife, or I want this, or I want that. Anyway, Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Look at what he asks now. He says, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant 
king in place of my father. He's, you have made me, uh, you've given me governance. You have put me in government. And then he says, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Humility. And then he says, your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. Verse 9. So give your servant a discerning heart, a wise heart, to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And verse 10 says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. And it says that later on, the Lord tells him, because you have not asked for long life and you've not asked for riches and you've not asked for peace from your enemies, I will also bless you even with these things because you've asked for wisdom. Wisdom is a principal thing. It's a primary thing. Wisdom takes the knowledge that you know or the knowledge that other people around you that are giving you knowledge and information, and it allows you to assimilate that and bring it into a practical application that has a prosperous outcome. That's what wisdom does. You need wisdom in your life. If you're going to be in government, you need wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, this is the problem. Most of the time, the wise people don't want to run for government because they perceive that mm -mm 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 -mm, there's drama there. I'm not, I'm not in that game. Nix, I'm out. Let me just do something else. And we, are, we tend to be led by people who have no sense. I'm not saying that those in government has, have no sense, but that's generally what happens when the wise refuse to lead. When the wise refuse, someone will lead. There's a vacuum. There's no vacuum in leadership. Someone will lead. And if the wise are not inclined to lead, then the fools will lead, definitely. And it's so important, it's so important that we pray for wisdom. So this gift, look here in James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, whether in self-leadership, whether in family leadership or in church leadership or in the state leadership, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It doesn't matter how bad, if you're a bad guy, God will give you wisdom if you ask. This is amazing. It's the one place where God will bless you despite the faults, Right? And it will be given to you. And then he says, don't doubt when you ask because if you're double-minded. So ask believing that God is giving me wisdom. Trust that God is the giver of wisdom. Generously loves to give wisdom. So the second key in government is wisdom and discernment. Look here at James chapter 3 verse 13. Speaks of the distinction between two kinds of wisdom. And the right kind of wisdom is what you need when you're in leadership and government. Verse 13 says, who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him by his good conduct show his good deeds with the gentleness and humility of true wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant and as a result be in defiance of the truth. This superficial wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly secular, natural, unspiritual, and even demonic. There is a demonic kind of wisdom that has a lot of bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition and arrogance and defiance of the truth. That's what it's marked by. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, unrest, rebellion, and every evil thing and morally degrading practices. And this is what's happening in most of our nations around the world. 
It's a kind of wisdom which is actually demonic and earthly and unspiritual. But uh, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, morally and spiritually undefiled, then peace-loving, courteous and considerate, gentle, reasonable and willing to listen, full of compassion and good fruits. It is unwavering without self-righteous hypocrisy and self-serving guile or deception. Verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness, spiritual maturity is sown in peace by those who make peace, by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. So God is going to give you wisdom and discernment, and the kind of wisdom that he's going to give you is going to come forth like the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the ability to unite people. It's peace-loving. It's pure. It's considerate. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It listens to wisdom, full of compassion, full of compassion, full of good fruit, without hypocrisy, integrous. This is the wisdom that God can give if we are willing to humble ourselves and ask. Let's not vote and choose leaders that don't have wisdom, that don't have good character, and then complain the next week because they're just being themselves. Amen? And for those of you who want to get married, don't marry someone who lacks wisdom and then try and... Maybe you can take some serious fastings for the first five years of your marriage in order to ask God to impart some special wisdom to that new spouse. But, you know, you want to be wise enough to preempt and say, let me choose rather to marry someone who is wise already because marriage already brings its own baggages without you having to, having to spare your food in order to get someone wisdom just to love you. Amen. So the first key is integrity. The second key is wisdom and discernment. And the third key is faithfulness, faithfulness. First Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 2, it says, So then, let us who minister, pastors, and, and, and fivefold ministers, be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards, trustees and administrators of the mysteries of God that he chooses to reveal. And then it says, In this case, moreover, it is required as essential and demanded of stewards or managers that one be found faithful and trustworthy. That's the third key, faithfulness. Faithfulness. And what he's saying here is the same faithfulness that is required of full-time ministers is the same faithfulness that is required of people in government. The same standard that is expected of your pastor should be expected of the president. The same standard that is expected of the minister of the gospel should be expected of the minister of health and finance and whatever the quality of their faithfulness, that we are entrusting taxes, we are entrusting to them resources which belong to the public to administer. They must be faithful. If a man lacks faithfulness in that context, he will steal. And if he steals with little, he will steal when there's more resources given with bigger budget, he will steal more. It's just the law of the spirit. And so if, if there's anyone that is in government and you are unfaithful, Resign. Resign. Go do something else and work on your faithfulness. Oh, beg God and change your life. Become accountable. Confess that unfaithfulness. Come clean and begin to live a life of faithfulness. It's demanded and essential that a steward, a manager, be found faithful and trustworthy. And the fourth key, uh, so, so the first one, the first key is integrity and honesty. The second key, 
wisdom and discernment. The third key, faithfulness. And the fourth key is courage. Courage. I'm reading from Joshua chapter 1. From verse 1, I'm skipping a few verses. We're reading verse 1, verse 2, verse 5 on to verse 9. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, the river, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Look at the promise of God. Look, look at the source of the courage as we're reading. The source of the courage. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Then it says, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I saw, that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 6, look here. He says, be strong and courageous because, or for, because you will cause them. If you are strong and courageous as a leader, you will cause people to inherit their promises. You will cause people. But if you are timid and frightful, they will not inherit even though it's God's will. Because the leader is a coward. Because the leader is not courageous. Amen. Verse 7, look here. He says, only be, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it from the right or to the, uh, to the, right, or to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9, look here the third time, it says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He tells him three times. One, be strong and courageous. Only be very strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. If you're going to be in leadership and in government, you have to be strong and courageous. There will be many voices, many opinions they will write about you. They will talk about you. They will sing about you. They will do everything. They will dance about you. They will mock you. They will make jokes about you. Especially if you want to do things the right way. It is unpopular to do the right thing nowadays. We live in a world where wrong is right and right is left and left is whatever. And so many times it's important for us to realize that if we're going to fulfill the call in government, even sometimes in family, as a husband, you want to lead the family in the right direction and there's opposition. Sometimes in business, you want to lead them in the right and there's opposition. In the state, you want to, all of a sudden, and they start asking you, well, yeah, you th who do you think you are? Are you now trying to come in? What, 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 what? And so people have this, this persecution against that which is righteous. Stoked, obviously, by the spirit of, of the enemy. But you have to be strong and courageous. Because when you're strong and courageous, you will clash against those evil forces 
in that place where God has legitimately ordained you to sit and rule in. And when you do, when you confront those forces of evil and corruption and lies and deception and unfaithfulness and lacking integrity and all of that, then you will begin to see the fulfillment of God's purpose for that ministry, for that department, for that area where you are leading in a way that you won't be making excuses because who is with you? The Lord your God is with you. And that was the foundation of Joshua's courage. It wasn't that you must have some kind of superficial boldness and arrogance. No, it comes from knowing that God is with me. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. And so when you're in that place of government, these keys are essential. Check yourself today. If you're in government, check yourself today. If you're in leadership, check yourself. Do I have integrity? Do I have wisdom and discernment and discretion? Do I have faithfulness? Am I courageous? And if you're not, start with courage. Start with enough courage to say, Lord, I admit that I'm falling short here. I pray that you help me. Find someone who is a mentor who has better character than you. Don't be mentored by people who are worse than you. Have a mentor that is more honest than you. That is someone that you can aspire and follow. Amen. All right. And so this is what I felt in my spirit as I was concluding this series. He said, have the spirit of a leader. Have the spirit of a leader. Wherever you are, whether you have a position or not, have the spirit of a leader. What is the spirit of a leader? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying, out, laying on of my hands, the gift of the Holy Spirit that is in you. Then verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. That's what a leader should have. That's the spirit of a leader. Power, ability, authority, love, which is love, and self-control. And so as we conclude this series, I really want to uh, speak to a couple of people today. Um, even as I was preparing in my heart, there's a woman that are in government. I, I hear a couple of women that are in government that, that are watching uh, this, this, uh, this message. And you are in a place where you, you really want to bring such tremendous transformation. And you have almost ticked off these boxes and you said, yes, I'm a person of integrity. Yes, I'm, 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 I believe that I've got the wisdom of God and I've prayed for that. Yes, I've got the faithfulness. Yes, I've, I'm courageous. And I feel like God is saying the fourth one about courage is very important. Is be very strong and courageous. Don't be rude. Don't be obnoxious but be strong, hold your own, hold your place. Legitimately realize that God has called you for that role and that you will discharge it with the passion of God. I see a couple of people, you've lost um, confidence in the government, even in Namibia. And it is so important that you understand that God wants you to pray for them instead of condemning them. And so it's very important that you understand that God does ordain leadership. He ordains government. And the way that we influence government is we start dealing with God. We are the ones that need to go before God and have our hearts searched. You know, when Daniel 
was about to intervene and bring Israel out of Babylon because 70 years of exile have passed and they were supposed to be brought back to the promised land to Israel. He started praying and fasting and saying, Lord, this needs to happen. And the angel was sent, Gabriel was sent with a message that eventually changed the regime from the Persian Empire to the Greek Empire. And so I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged by what you see with your eyes. Be a man of faith, be a woman of faith, and begin to take your role as an intercessor and begin to, to seriously understand that God wants to use you in bringing that change. I see someone, you're, you're praying about whether to go into government, you feel a strong call into uh, government and, and, and statehood. And it is important that you understand that God is preparing you. I feel this is what God is saying. He's preparing you, especially your character. Watch your character. It will be more important than your qualifications. You're the kind of person that's highly qualified, but God is more interested in your character. What is going to come out when all the intelligence of the world fails you? The character of the Holy Spirit will be your shining beacon in that place. And then I see um, a man you are in a place where you have abdicated your responsibility as a father in the home. And uh, God is speaking to you today and saying, uh, you need to repent and you need to take up seriously that role. You have left the family in the hands of the mother and uh, you, you, you're good at providing financially. But God is saying that I've called you first to provide your presence in that home that you'll be present as a loving father, as a kind husband, as an example to your children, and you'll begin to see the impact of God's spirit in your family. Revival is coming to your family. Amen. Amen. So if you're not born again, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I hear your voice today. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I know that I need your forgiveness. I know that I need your salvation. And so today, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. And today, I receive that atoning sacrifice as my salvation. I receive Jesus as my own personal Savior, as my own personal Lord. And I believe that after three days, he was raised from the dead and he's alive today. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, change my whole life. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, I confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, please contact us in the details that you see below. We want to put some material in your hand and connect you with someone who will be able to raise you in the things of God. Otherwise, may God continue to make his presence known in your lives even as we're facing whatever we're facing in our days remember that we serve a victorious God who has overcome the grave and I want to encourage each one of us in our families to continue to be speakers of truth ministers of reconciliation to be kings and priests and ministers and ambassadors wherever we are may you have a blessed blessed week and we'll see you soon thank you for listening for more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.